This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, founder of the B Podcast Network and author of the books, School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Good morning, Jethro. Good morning and welcome. Thank you. It is good to be here. And speaking of our um, list of people that we have interviewed and hope to interview again, I saw a really fascinating Twitter thread this morning by our former guest, Carrie Goldberg, in which she talked about the fact that she has been uh, suing Amazon for allowing the sale of incredibly pure sodium nitrate. And there have been a number of miners around the country who have used that chemical to commit suicide. And she's trying to get Amazon to stop doing that. Um, And some of the algorithm things that she talks about are really stunning. So uh, I'm going to reach out to her again and see if she wants to come on the show and talk about her lawsuit and some of the issues. Certainly for parents, 
it's really critical to be aware that some of these products are available out there and that they really should be paying attention to what is being ordered from Amazon. Yeah, very interesting. I I think I saw that thread also, and it talked about uh, how she was supposed to do a segment on CBS and then CBS canceled it or something along those lines. Is that that, that is exactly about? right. She went. It's the same thread. It's a great thread. And actually, I should throw it in the show notes since uh, we're talking about it and I'll do that. But um, yeah, she went through a, a very lengthy period of negotiations with CBS to do a news item on this, particularly during National Bullying Month. And they were all gung ho. And then at the last minute, CBS spiked the story. And, you know, obviously we don't know the inner workings of CBS, but certainly Kerry makes a pretty compelling case that CBS was concerned about blowback or even a drop in advertising from Amazon, which is one of the largest advertisers in the world now. So I, I, I do encourage people to take a look at that. Hopefully, uh, Carrie will have some time to come and talk to us personally about it. But even if she doesn't, I'm sure I can find someone who can talk about these issues. And we've definitely dealt with teen suicide before. What I think is really disturbing, um, you know, particularly in the wake, for instance, of the Molly Russell story we did uh, a short time ago, is that these kinds of supplies are so available to underage purchasers you know, who could get a gift card at Walmart, for instance, or who may have access to their parents' credit card for some reason. Or the worst thing of all is that the payment is automatically set up in Amazon. And if the kid can log in, all the kid has to do is click ship and it's automatic. So I, you know, maybe, you know, we all, we all try to do things for convenience, but if you've got teenagers in the house, maybe you don't want to store a payment option in Amazon. Um, just in, introduce one little bit of friction in terms of how quickly this stuff can move. Yeah, and and that really is a lot of, uh, that solution is a lot of what we often talk about, that if you just put a little bit of friction, you might make an impact. And it's not going to solve everything, but that friction does help some things and, you know, protects against other things as well. And the fact that, you know, anything that a kid can do to harm themselves, we want to keep them safe and prevent that from happening. Um, but when we enable it, like being able to order um, doses of, uh, she's calling them suicide kits. Um, yeah, literally calling them suicide yeah, kits. That and, is I mean, that is pretty crazy. The, I, I think we, you know, we really could do an entire show just on this thread. I have yeah. put the, I have put the link in the show notes for people. Um, just drop in and take a look at it. Um, certainly, if you're interested in the ongoing fight against child pornography, against you know other kinds of harm to children, Carrie Goldberg is a terrific person to follow on Twitter, and certainly strongly recommend it. Well, let's get into our topic today, uh, which is a preview of your session um, presentation at PPI <clears throat> uh, on October 19th in Boise, Idaho, which uh, we're both looking forward to attending and going to be good. Can you first give us a little background of what PPI is and what NASTEC is? 
I would be absolutely happy to do so. So the deal basically is that, um, gosh, what is it? 125 years ago, 100 something plus years ago, a group of people got together and formed the National Association of State Directors of Teacher Education and Certification because they wanted a national body to help promote standards for teacher education, which terrific objective. They do great work. They hold an annual conference every June. NASDAQ, like a lot of organizations, has subsidiary groups, and one of them is the Professional Practices Institute. And our former guest, Troy Hutchings, introduced me to this group of folks, gosh, almost a decade ago now. And what PPI concentrates on is educating the people who issue teacher licenses and investigate misconduct. So if, you know, how many times have we talked about teachers getting into trouble on this trip, on this show? So when they do, the licensing people in the various states or the state in which the person is licensed will conduct an investigation, make a recommendation to the licensing board about what punishment, if any, is appropriate. And the case goes from there. So basically, the point of PPI is to give these professionals the opportunity to come together and study different kinds of issues related to licensing. And basically, each year with a couple of misses, I've gone and talked about the technological aspects, um, cyber traps for educators as a general topic, um, obviously talking about social media specific applications that may be problematic. And so for this PPI, which is being held in Boise, Idaho, starting on the 17th, um, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to everybody about, let's see if I've got the exact title. Here we go. The cyber traps of emerging technologies, deep fakes, augmented and virtual reality, the metaverse, and whatever AI has in store for us. <laughs> and, you know, the great thing about this is, you know, at some level, it's a 10,000-foot view, right, Jethro? Because you're giving them the broad sweep of where technology is going. But at the same time, I'm also trying to drill down enough to help give the investigators and the licensing professionals some practical takeaways about how this will affect the work that they do. So that's what we'll be talking a little bit about today. So we've got the general outline of my PowerPoint presentation in the show notes. Um, you can actually get some insights in terms of how I structure these presentations. Yeah. And uh, certainly anyone who's listening who would like this in their district, uh, easy enough to get in contact with myself or Jethro and we can set something up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I'd like to bounce around a little bit on this, if that's okay. Please. And just Give talk about... Yeah, some of the different aspects of it. And I think the first thing um, that I'd like to talk about is is the idea of deep fakes and how that can be used in a school setting and what that actually looks like. And um, mm -hmm. so I'll have you talk about that first, and then I have some, some thoughts on it myself that uh, there's some really fascinating technology that's very accessible that anybody can use. And... Uh, and we should we should talk a little bit more about it. Which precise, which is precisely the problem that anybody yes. can use it. So look, the the concept of deep fakes is pretty straightforward. What 
that encompasses is using software increasingly powered by artificial intelligence or at least very sophisticated algorithms. There's a little bit of a blurring between those two, but it's using that back end technology to manipulate images or video, or in some cases to create it out of nothing, you know, just what the AI has been taught uh, in terms of how different things should be interpreted. And the best example I can give people is if they go to uh, the website DAL-E, and I'll uh, put that in the notes, it's actually, they've got a second version. So DAL-E2, and it is a website that allows you to put in a textual prompt. And it can be anything you can imagine. So for instance, if you go into Dolly 2 and you ask the artificial intelligence to create a cubist painting of a dog uh, on a surfboard. <laughs> you okay. can hear his keyboard in the background. He's literally doing this right now. I'm literally, this is, yes. And <laughs> um, actually, I'll have to figure out, since we can paste things, I don't know, I'll put them in our workflowy Jethro, and maybe uh, your editor can put them into the uh, webpage yeah. for people to take a look at. So the AI is currently zipping away, and I'm going to give a couple of these to uh, Jethro. Let's see if we can uh, copy the image here. Um, if you can copy a link and put it in the chat, I can put it in the show notes. So people can go see it. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I can download it as an image. It's actually a PNG. See, this is all being done in real time. I know. <laughs> so, it's, it's so crazy. anyway, I'm just going to download it. And then I am going to paste an example into the um into the work notes. But as we're talking, Jethro, part of the thing that we're doing here is we're, we're exploring ways in which this software is now able to interpret the words that we use. So that's one application of this AI. The much more disturbing aspect of this, and this is something that not surprisingly adult websites or kind of gonzo programmers have really started to play around with is taking images of people or videos of people and now manipulating them mm -hmm. and, and making them basically look real. So the real concern with quote unquote deep fakes is that you're going to be able to take enough video clips of someone, put it into an AI system and then generate new video of that person saying or doing things that they never did. Mm -hmm. So it's really one of the ways in which we're starting to see artificial intelligence play over to this idea of artificial reality, a reality that truly does not exist. But, you know, given the challenges this world, frankly, has with critical thinking, I don't know as we can realistically expect people to step back and say, wait a minute, you know, did Tom Cruise actually do X or what was the one I saw the other day that there was, Oh, that, that supposedly Bruce Willis's management company or something like that, or his family had licensed his image so that people could basically cause him to act in a movie 
using a deep fake, even though his current medical condition doesn't allow him to keep acting. Mm-hmm. Now that turned out to be a hoax, but honestly, conceptually, there's no reason that couldn't happen. Yeah. And, and so the, so right now there is a, uh, a TV show uh, produced by Disney called she Hulk. And for about half of that show, the main character is a, an, a generated CGI person. And, What is interesting as I'm watching it and paying attention to the details of that, that you can still see some of the, the computer generation and the, the awkwardness of how she moves or whatever, but it's actually getting pretty good at this point. And my dad was into animation decades ago and showed me some things that were, were amazing back in the mid nineties that that normal folks could do. And now it's becoming so much more prevalent. And something that I think, especially for schools is that there are ways to, with all with with teachers who have, you know, put so much out on social media and recorded their lectures and things like that. You can actually take all of that data and use it to train um, an AI model so that you can make them do these things that, um, that they would never actually do. And, and this is a real issue that kids can play pranks, that kids can do things that, um, other people could do things to tarnish reputations and things like that. And I think that it's just a real issue that we, we don't, I think most people don't really think that it is an issue until something happens and they're going to say, Oh, wow, that's what that does that really changes how we look at this. And I'm, I'm not sure that our laws are going to catch up fast enough to that um, to be able to, to deal with it in, in a healthy way. And I think there are going to be lives that are going to be really ruined because of the capability of some of these tools. I think that's true. And, you know, a couple of different points spring up in connection to that, Jethro. So number one, you've got the, um, you know, the perpetual problem that this increasingly sophisticated software is not just the preserve of people who have been trained on the ethical or social implications. It's available to kids. Mm-hmm. You know, any kid can go on to Dolly and start playing around with this stuff. And unfortunately, with just a little bit of investigation, they can find some of the other tools out there that, for instance, you know, allow you to pretend to strip away someone's clothing and create nude photos of someone. And this is one of the things I'll be talking about in the context of educators. Like you definitely will have a problem if an educator is taking photos of students and running them through some artificial intelligence to do that. So, you know, (laughs) we, we are constantly faced with the situation that our technical capabilities often outstrip our judgment. And I use that word advisedly, but, but, you know, it's a little bit like gene editing, right? Think about all of the ways in which, you know, we can change the reality of DNA or we can change, you know, the, the chemicals or the viruses that are out in the world. Do we have the judgment to use those things responsibly? And in a very minor way, that's exactly the same thing that we're talking about with respect to, the ability to generate deep fakes and try to either harass people or 
um, make it seem like they're misbehaving. You know, think about the kids. You know, you remember early on when we were doing this stuff, Jethro, we were talking about kids setting up um, fake websites mm-hmm. and putting stuff on there that purported to be from a teacher. And it always was designed to show the teachers being racist or misogynistic or pervert or what have you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's bad enough. But what if some kid is now generating a video that suggests that the teacher is saying really awful things to young women? Yeah. And and recording it and posting it and sharing it. And the damage will be done before that, before an investigation ever even takes place. Right. right that's that's course. the real challenge. Right. That before anybody finds out that that really happened or did not happen, then the, the damage is already done. So you mentioned reality, and you've got a section in here that is, what is reality, really? Uh, talk about the augmented virtual and reality and the metaverse and how those all come together um you know there's a wonderful english satirist douglas adams who unfortunately died probably gosh dozen 15 years ago now ridiculous um who basically uh did a series of books called the hitchhiker's guide to the universe and in it guide to the galaxy guide to the galaxy sorry thank you um, I knew you'd know that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he created a spaceship with the infinity drive, right? Which was based on a random number generator. And I remember one of the lines in it is, you know, basically it's coming, you know, the infinity drive comes to a stop at what is reality and anything else you're experiencing is really your problem. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the challenge we face with all of this. Like where does the line get drawn? So without getting too kind of um, metaphysical or philosophical about the whole thing, the concept of augmented reality is something we're all starting to see one way or another. It's Pokemon, you know, the Pokemon Go, where you can take your smartphone, go out into the world, walk around like an idiot into traffic and look for (laughs) the, you know, little Pokemon characters that pop up in your screen. In a more pragmatic way, um, Ikea now has augmented reality where you can take an item from their catalog and you can put it in your living room and get a sense of how it will fit and blah, blah, blah. Um, Which actually I wish we had done for this like oven, little countertop oven that we bought, which proved to be just way too big for this tiny apartment. (laughs) So it would have been smart to do that. So augmented reality is where you're using some device to overlay information on whatever you perceive to be your reality. And that that gives you, like you can use the iPhone or or an Android smartphone uh, now to measure a table or a height of something just by drawing a line an imaginary line in your real space. So that's mm-hmm. augmented. So virtual reality is the concept of actually creating a space, a reality in which you can interact. And, you know, the, the virtual reality can be, um, well, I mean, there's a lot of different manifestations. Going back a ways, we had Second Life uh, as one of the first virtual realities more recently, you've got things like Fortnite and Roblox and World of Warcraft, 
all of these things where you play a character interacting with other characters in a made up world. Now, where things really get interesting is with this concept of the metaverse. So a the metaverse that Zuckerberg is trying to create with Meta um, is sort of the next, next iteration of virtual reality. The idea being that you as an avatar, you have a representation of yourself in this new virtual reality that they're creating. And you get to do various things that are, you know, that have corollaries in the real world. Like you can go shopping, you can go to a bank, you can go to a concert, uh, sporting events, play poker with people, but you're interacting with other representations of real people. Now, I actually in the, in the, um, I'll do it here too, but on my slides, I actually replace the S in metaverse with a dollar sign because the whole yeah. point of the metaverse from Zuckerberg's perspective is to create an environment that captures money-making activity in this virtual world. Um, so, you know, the thing about the metaverse and, and sort of the more recent iterations of virtual reality is that the device that you're using to access that is not a computer screen that you stare at with aspects of the real world around you. You're putting on a headset like Oculus, or I forget what the other brands are. That's the most famous and, and really immersing yourself in this virtual world. So it looks to your senses like you're in this actual space. And that's, that's where things are going to start to get a little bit interesting. One of the fun articles I read about this, Jethro, you may have seen it as well, is an article talking about why you can't have legs in the metaverse. <laughs> and the, the reason for that basically is that you would need a full bodysuit in order to provide the information to the computer to make it look realistic. So right now, basically, you get kind of a torso and you have you know, a head and expressions that work well. And you can get hand gestures with certain devices, but it's gonna take a while before there's an actual, you know, James Cameron level avatar. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not to give a plug to a multi-billion dollar movie, but you know, <laughs> that it's, it's really interesting because of course the original concept of avatar, which, you know, Cameron was really a, a little bit ahead of the curve on this, was that one, you know, the main character in that, of course, is is a paraplegic. And then when he enters this device or this 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 equipment, he's transformed into, you know, a, a whole bodied, you know, individual capable of walking, running, and so on and so forth. So you know, there's all kinds of interesting potential. And certainly from an educational point of view, I mean, K-12 is going nuts with this already. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, again, we've got that perpetual risk of a technology getting ahead of the educational and social norms, let alone the disciplinary issues. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I think the thing that's really fascinating about it is that uh well for example if you take the book uh and the movie ready player one which Great. if you haven't yeah. read or watched is is really a good example of what this could look like um both it, are excellent yeah yes both are and i think the the thing that we should be thinking about with this is 
what are the beneficial applications? Because there are some, like being able to witness science experiments in a virtual place that removes any uh, danger or harm of, of destroying anything or causing damage to anybody or anything is, is worthwhile and surely something that we could all get behind compared to the addictive and other issues that could come up that if you're, and we already see addiction to video games and things like that, that if, if your alternate reality is better than your real reality, then it's very easy to move into there and think that that is, that that is real when it is, when it is all virtual. And the challenging part is that like, you and I have met in person, but most of our relationship has been built through virtual conversations like this. And so mm -hmm. had we had, you know, a, uh, a suit on or a um, something to, uh, to project ourselves in a different way, then we could see each other and our relationship differently because of that. And, and it's something that, you know, we always have to balance these two things of, what is good about it and what is potentially negative about it. And thankfully a lot of science fiction authors have painted really <laughs> grotesque pictures of what it can lead to. And well, I'd give, I mean, you know, so it's, it's right in our face. Right. Well, and, and of course the, the classic is brave new world, uh -huh. you know, by Aldous Huxley, where he uh, conceived of Soma, which is this, you know, kind of drug to make you forget reality and yeah. people become gibbering idiots because that's all they want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example. I mean, this concept, right, pops up everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Because it's so it's so seductive. The you know, the the and, and honestly, in our in our reality, how how is that all that different when you look at television, right? Neil Postman entertaining ourselves to death from mid-1980s was speculating on that precise point. The TV was so absorbing, and that was before the 60-inch screens, by the way, yeah, but no was kidding. so absorbing and, and so brain-deadening that people would choose that, you know, as an alternative to, you know, the harder work of reading or staying civically engaged or what yeah. have you. Yeah. And, and that has certainly proved to be true in many cases that a lot of our news comes from headlines, short snippets on TV and tweets, right? And a lot of characters are 240, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> and a lot of news stations actually just read people's tweets as their news, which yes. is just mind boggling to me that we're at that point. So um, the last thing that I want to talk about here at the end is what are some of the risk factors for educators? Um, and there's more in the outline, which we're not going to get to all of it, of course, but I think that the risk factors, uh, especially um, the first one on your list here, insufficiently understood technology, this mm -hmm. I think is a super big challenge for educators not understanding what their kids are doing and how they're doing it. And that is, to me, a, a huge challenge that we always have to be aware of. I think that's really well said. And it's, it, you know, there are two ways you can, you can approach that. You can look at it from the perspective of what trouble are the kids getting into because the technology is not sufficiently understood or alternatively, what trouble are the educators getting into mm -hmm. because they don't know really what's going on. And that can be from a failure to supervise to 
making mistakes about how, for instance, information is handled or the way certain norms arise in these virtual spaces that may not be instantly familiar to the educator. Um, and so a behavior that the educator engages in in the virtual world takes on a different meaning than he or she intended. It's, it's really complicated stuff. And honestly, you know, Jethro, you know this, just getting the time to do professional development for basic pedagogical stuff is one thing, let alone developing professional development on the metaverse. Yeah, no kidding. And, and I saw this firsthand as a teacher when Second Life came out that a lot of people in education thought the Second Life was the next big thing and it ended up fizzling out and not being the next big thing. But a lot of people spent a lot of time teaching teachers how to use Second Life and also teaching teachers what Second Life was and then how to use it as an educator, which are two very different things also. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, I think that, you know, it's just, I always want to caution administrators and school boards and, and other uh, decision makers within the schools to try to get ahead of the curve on this stuff. Um, but it, it seems like oftentimes you're, you're basically just screaming into the meta void when you yes. do that. Um, so we'll, we'll see uh, if, if anything happens. You know, I think that, um, you know, the, the last point, and, and we've discussed this in the past, is that regardless of the bells and whistles of the technology, the thing that I'll be telling the licensing folks in two weeks um, and you can do a post-show recap in yeah. our next podcast after that. Um, but the thing that I will be telling them, as I always do, is that it's really not about the technology. It's about the behavior. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if someone is harassing a student or bullying a student in the metaverse, it's still bullying and harassment. And we understand that. I think what's going to be more challenging is that these are going to be interactions that are happening in real time on a kind of one-to-one -one basis. And I think investigators will have a real challenge documenting what's taking place because it's not necessarily clear to me that, for instance, a student would be able to record interactions in the metaverse or in some other virtual space and may or maintain or create a record of those interactions. You know, now, if you've got people who are emailing or texting each other or something like that, there's at least a decent chance an investigator can obtain that information. But if a teacher approaches a student in the metaverse and is saying something really inappropriate or is grooming that child, that I think, I'm suspecting is going to be more like a phone call, right? Than a, than a written communication. Yeah. And it depends, right? So um, uh, we can, we can get stuff records from telecoms because they've been around for a long time and they know, know the procedure and know how to, mm -hmm. you know, give things up to the government. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know that that will be the same with a company like Facebook. And we've already seen several issues that we've talked about here where uh, Facebook has not been helpful and Instagram has not been helpful in giving up information that could help investigators understand things. And 
again, like we want to have privacy and we don't want the the social media networks to turn everything over to the government just because they feel like they need it. But at the same time, we want to be able to protect kids. And when kids are in those situations, I think you're right. That'll be more like a phone call because I don't think that every audio and video interaction is going to be recorded, Mm -hmm. but there will be some record of interactions and how things are working at some level. We just don't know what that looks like. Yeah, and I think that's going to be from, you know, you know, the work that I do in terms of the computer forensics and then lecturing to investigators. Um, There's actually the public defenders up in Vermont may be interested in this as a potential topic. I think that's going to be something we're really going to have to dig into, like what what information uh, is recorded from the metaverse? How how is that stored? Is it you know that's the thing i mean the 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 level of interactions when you think about the fact that roblox for instance has 55 million users a day the computing and storage space required to to maintain a record of all of those interactions it's actually i think genuinely impossible for sure but that's a real problem from you know from an investigative point of view and given the fact as i dig into this a little bit that you've got all of the seven sins showing mm-hmm. up in in virtual reality uh, we're going to have to figure this out at some point yeah and i i don't think that it's going to be easy well yeah. i for one am looking forward to your presentation i'm looking forward to hearing it and uh, i'm sure that we will be talking a lot more about that conference and interviewing people while we're there yes. so that will be that will be very good and i'm looking forward to that well and just for next week on a lighter topic we will be giving educators uh some of the do's and don'ts of halloween costumes oh <laughs> yes we're we're crawling into that time of year and every single year some poor teacher or two ends up losing their job because of a halloween costume don't let it be you. Yes. And when you do see those stories, please send them to us so that we can add them to our collection. Right. We are not above making fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Cyber Traps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts for helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guests, questions, or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone and you could also leave us a rating. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Cybertraps podcast. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, Check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. 
Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.